Welcome back, guys, to Neurology Exam Prep from Yale University Neurology. I'm Safa Abdul Hakim, and I have with me one of my favorite attendings today, Dr. Rashma Narula, and we're going to walk you through um, some posterior circulation syndromes. It's a very complicated topic. Uh, we will start a general approach about it and talk about some of the syndromes. How are you doing, Dr. Narula? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Safa. Of course, of course. So I'm sure this is something that's confusing for other people, not just me. <laughs> but um, if we kind of just start talking about the major vessels in the posterior circulation um, and the different processes that we can get um, that could cause vascular um, diseases. Yeah, so um, I think this is a great topic to talk about. Posterior circulation strokes are one of the things that is often missed in the emergency room. Um, and so I think it's really exciting and interesting to go through the multiple different ways that posterior circulation strokes can present. And so the basic supply to the brain in the posterior circulation is through the vertebral arteries, which join to form the, the basilar artery. And so we can start with the vertebral arteries, which, as you know, come off of the subclavian arteries. Um, and they run up through the spine and then join to form the basilar artery. So the vertebral arteries are, are quite small. So they're generally three to four millimeters. They can be affected by a lot of different disease processes. So the main ones we think about would be atherosclerotic disease, dissection, um, inflammation or arteritis. And so those are the, the main things that we think about. You can get atherosclerotic disease at the origin of the vertebral arteries or throughout its course. And then one of the, the branches of the vertebral artery, artery would be the posterior inferior cerebellar artery. And so in Wallenberg syndrome, that's when um, you think about either disease of the vertebral artery or the pica itself. Typical presentation of a of a Wallenberg um, syndrome. How, you know, if we can go through the different deficits. Sure. So that's one of the things that's um, sometimes missed in the emergency room, um, and the reason why is because it doesn't present with weakness, and so the findings can be a little bit more subtle. Um, and so typically, people people can get something called um, a Horner syndrome. So do you remember what the, the, the syndrome of a Horner's is? Yeah, absolutely. So it's meiosis and hydrosis and ptosis, and that will be ipsilateral to the lesion. What, what else do you sometimes see in, in the Wallenberg? So I always think um, the kind of lateral structures, in my head, the way I think about brainstem, the lateral structures will be the spinothalamic tract, um, in the sympathetic tract. That's why we get the Horners. The spinothalamic tract will carry like pain and temperature. So we will get a, um, a contralateral body numbness. It's usually how I remember it too. So you get the, the findings of the Horner syndrome on the same side, and then you get cross-sensory sim symptoms. Some people also have um, vertigo, nausea, vomiting. But one of the, the main things that I think I've seen in almost all the cases of Wallenberg would be really bad hiccups. Um, other things that you can get would be change in your in your voice. So sometimes people get hoarseness. 
some people don't have a gag. Some people have trouble swallowing. People can complain of double vision. And so there are other things that people tend to get with the Wallenberg syndrome. Great. And then one of the things that I that I always kind of try to remind myself is that um, because of the involvement of the fifth um, cranial nerve nuclei is we would get an ipsilateral facial numbness. And that's the cross that you were talking about, Dr. Nerula. And with the hoarseness, just kind of like an exam buzzword in case we ever come across it, <laughs> is the nucleus ambiguous um, and the decreased taste, which is ipsilateral to the side of the lesion would be the, the nucleus solitarius. In addition, you could get um, in the lateral medullary syndromes, you could affect the vestibular nuclei, which would cause horizontal nystagmus, and that would be ipsilateral. So the fast phase would be pointing to the ipsilateral to the lesion. Um, you could also get torsional nystagmus, um, and that would be the fast phase would be pointing to the contralateral side. Yeah, I think um, the interesting thing about uh, the lateral medullary syndrome is what the etiology is and so it's a really small territory so some people think that you know it's more likely to be secondary to small vessel ischemic disease or lipohyalinosis but we often find that horner syndrome is um, more of an embolic phenomenon either secondary to disease from the vertebral artery or embolic disease from the heart wonderful the one last thing too that I always try to remember is like along the lateral structures, it would be the spinocerebellar tract. So we would get ipsilateral ataxia of the limbs to the side of the lesion. All right. That was an awesome review. Thank you. So for um, Wallenberg, things that we want to remember would be an ipsilateral cranial nerve, uh, fifth nuclei get, get affected. Um, so we, would, we could get like a periorbital or facial pain. Uh, we would also get ipsilateral facial numbness. And um, one of the, 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 if we want to think about the lateral structures that we would get affected would be the spinothalamic tract. So that would give us a contralateral body numbness and uh, the, um, the sympathetic tract. So that would give us a Horner's, which would be myocystosis on hydrosis and would be the spinothalamic tract. So that would give us um, a contralateral body numbness. Some other symptoms would be the hoarseness, the decreased uh, taste, uh, the hiccups. And that's about it. Um, how about we, we talk about, we go further up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess the other um, part of the, the medulla that is less common would be the medial medulla. Um, and so you can get an infarcts in that area too. It's just um, a lot less common. Uh, and so the presentation for that is pretty interesting. So you usually get ipsilateral tongue weakness and then you get involvement of the corticospinal tract, so you get contralateral hemiparesis, but usually don't have facial weakness in that setting. Depending on where the infarct is, you can also get decreased position and vibration sense due to the dorsal column involvement. And so it's just one of the less frequently seen lesions in the medulla. Um, and, and which vessel would be uh, talking about with that, Dr. Nerla? So it can be, I mean, it depends exactly on where the, the lesion is. It can be due to one of the smaller blood vessels due to lipohyalinosis. So you can get um, small vessel ischemic disease. You can have it from occlusion of the vertebral artery or from the anterior spinal artery as well. So it can be either um, a small vessel problem or a larger 
embolic phenomenon. So just to recap, the medial structures start with an M. Uh, that's how I try to remember them. <laughs> so that would be the medial lumniscus. So um, we would get contralateral decreased vibration and proprioception because it's after it crossed. And um, we would have the corticospinal tract. Uh, I think of that as motor. So that would be the contralateral motor um, deficit as well as the tongue weakness, like you mentioned. And that would be uh, cranial nerve 12. It's lateral to the side of the lesion. And uh, moving further up, we'll get into the dangerous territory of the basilar artery. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the basilar artery, basilar artery occlusions are um, one of the scariest things that people can present with. Um, and then often things that are missed and people sometimes don't think about stroke because there's so many different ways people with basilar artery occlusions can present. And so the basilar artery supplies many parts of the brain. Um, and so it supplies the cerebellum, it supplies the midbrain, the pons. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways that people can come in. And so, you know, just to go through what to think about when somebody comes into the emergency room with deep depressed mental status, eye movement abnormalities, dysarthria, dysphagia, facial weakness, weakness on one side of the body, but a different side of the face. Those are all signs to think about. There could be something wrong with the basilar artery. Um, the basilar artery can also be affected by a number of disease processes. So you can get atherosclerotic disease, just like in the vertebral artery, you can get dissections, um, you can get thromboembolic occlusions, um, and so also just the vascular artery is really susceptible to a number of different things that can block flow through it. Um, but it's probably the most important blood vessel um, in the head. So if we talk like in, in more specific about the lower pons, for example, which is kind of like as we're going up the basilar, um, so that would be like an occlusion of the proximal basal um, um, vessels. Um, yeah. So you can get occlusion of the, the basilar artery. Lower down, it usually affects the paramedian branches. And then can also, you know, depending on where the occlusion is, can occlude the anterior, inferior cerebellar artery. Um, and then as you go up, the superior cerebellar artery. There's pontine syndromes and then there's cerebellar syndromes. Um, and then there's a combination of the two. So if you get um, in an, if you get involvement of the anterior inferior cerebellar artery, sometimes people just present with hearing loss and tinnitus. Depending on how much of the the area is infarcted, you can also get facial weakness. Those are usually the main things um, that you see. And then obviously ataxia um, because you're involving the, the cerebellum. And so if a, if a lesion is affecting the anterior inferior cerebellar artery and part of the pons, um, you can get um, hearing loss or deafness on the same side. You can get tinnitus. Um, you can get horizontal nystagmus because that's where the vestibular nucleus is as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can get involvement of the cerebellar tracts. And so you get ipsilateral ataxia. Um, you can get a peripheral seventh nerve palsy. And then depending on where the lesion is, you can get other 
involvement of different tracts, so you can get involvement of the spinal thalamic tracts, and you can get um, numbness associated with that. If you have involvement of the descending sympathetic tracts, so you can get um, Horner syndrome. That those are the main things that I've seen with anterior inferior cerebellar artery ischemia. That's wonderful. And I always like try to imagine, I think it would be good for our listeners too, to kind of like look up a picture of um, the circle of Willis as we talk, because I always think of like the ICA as hugging the pons from outside. Um, so with the ICA stroke, it's more of the lateral structures. Um, and like you were mentioning, that would be like our spinothalamic, the, the cerebellar tracts, um, and the cranial nerves that reside in the lateral aspect of the pons, which would be um, cranial nerve uh, five and um, and um, seven. Maybe we can kind of go a little bit into the medial pons, which would be more of the perforators of the basilar, and um, talk a little bit about like what, what that could entail. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. So that, again, can be second, you can get infarcts in the medial pons from embolic disease through the basilar artery, which can come from large artery atherosclerotic disease, it can come from dissection, it can come from embolic disease from the heart, um, or you can have lipohyalinosis um, and small vessel ischemic disease secondary to high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. And so you can get different presentations, um, but the things that um, to remember for infarctions of the medial pons would be um, you get involvement uh, of the MLF. And so sometimes you can have an INO. Um, in terms of the seventh nerve, you usually get a peripheral seventh nerve palsy. And that's actually pretty, pretty interesting. Um, so you'll see people that have eye weakness in addition to um, facial weakness. And then you can have involvement of the medial lemniscus. So you can have decreased vibration and proprioception, sometimes with light touch um, decrease, but sometimes they, they don't always have that. You can get involvement of the cerebellar tract, so you can have ataxia, um, trouble with gait, and then you can have some eye movement abnormalities that go along with that depending on where exactly the infarct is. And then you can get crossed findings of weakness. So you can get weakness of the face and then contralateral weakness of the arm and leg. MLF, it's medial and medial lemniscus. So they're both in the middle. <laughs> so that would be a medial lower pons, which would be the, the basal perforator. So, so that, that's definitely... Um, a great review and a, and a good thing to remember. So it would be important to identify that as we're going up higher up in the pons, um, that we're dealing with more the territory of the superior cerebellar artery, the SCA. Um, but the reality is when we think about it from bigger stroke syndromes, and as we're seeing patients in the emergency room, for example, the lateral and the medial pons, whether in the upper or the lower pons, become a little similar. Um, and I think we kind of have to keep in mind what, it, what, what is in the lateral aspect and what's in the medial aspect. With, with that being said, we can kind of go further up uh, and that would take us up to the midbrain. Would that be good to talk about, Dr. Nerla? Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so we can talk, you know, about the, um, the, 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 just the vascular supply to the midbrain, um, the larger vessels, especially. Yeah. So when the midbrain is involved, um, 
This is a really important syndrome because it could mean that the top of the basilar artery is occluded. Um, it could also mean that the paramedian branches are occluded or the very beginning of the posterior cerebral artery. All of those things can involve the midbrain. Um, and so when somebody comes in with a midbrain syndrome that's acute in onset, we become very concerned about that. That's that's important. So with that being said, we can kind of talk um, about the medial midbrain, which the vascular territory that we would be thinking about that just as, we, as we're looking at a diagram of the vascular territories, we would be thinking about the posterior cerebral artery, artery or the uh, top of the basilar, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And so the things that um, I usually think about when you have a basilar artery occlusion or a proximal PCA occlusion um, would be vertical gaze paresis. Um, you can get contralateral weakness with involvement of the medial midbrain. Um, you can get dysfunction of the, the pupillary reflex. And then you can get um, disorders of vertical and downward gaze. Um, so again, medial is motor. So we're talking about the cerebral peduncle because we're particularly in the midbrain. Um, and, and that's what the motor tracks in the midbrain are called. So we would get a contralateral weakness of the arm and leg. Um, and, and the face will be contralateral also, which is a distinction between lesions of the midbrain versus lesions of the um Further down in the brainstem, in the pons. Excellent. And then, like you said, we would get epsilata dilated pupil because um, since we're in the midbrain, we need to be thinking about what cranial nerves are in the midbrain. So that would be the ocular motor, cranial nerve three. So we would get epsilata dilated pupil, we would get ptosis, um, uh, but we will have preserved a- uh, abduction and intorsion. So you get disorders of cranial nerve three, you get involvement of the MLF. Um, you get involvement of the cerebral peduncle, which causes weakness of the arm and the leg. You can get, like you said, involvement of the face, but you don't have to. And then you can have involvement of the vertical gaze center. So you can get either tonic downward gaze or you can get vertical gaze paresis. If you have involvement of the Edinger-Westfall nucleus, you can have light near dissociation. You can also just get skew deviations um, or you know other abnormal eye movements. If you have involvement of the reticular formation, that's when you have disorders of consciousness and you see people that are confused or they can just be lethargic or sleepy. Um, and so those are all very worrisome findings. Um, so we can talk more about the lateral uh, midbrain? Um, so lesions of the lateral midbrain, so you're right, that involves the short circumferential branches that come off of the PCA or sometimes the PCOM. And when you get that, you can have infarction of the lateral midbrain. Um, so typically what you see there would be involvement of the ipsilateral third nerve. So you get an ipsilateral third nerve paresis. Um, You can get contralateral hemiparesis and ataxia um, and contralateral sensory loss to position and vibration and to pain and temperature. People, because um, the circumferential branches come off of the PCA, people also get these formed visual hallucinations that can be um, one of the hallmark signs um, that you have an infarction there. Um, so the cerebral peduncle makes it to the lateral midbrain. Um, so like you said, you would have contralateral weakness, um, arm legs could involve the face. 
um, we would have involvement of the media lemniscus as well. And I think this is like the one time our rule that I kind of emphasized over and over as we're going through the syndromes. And that's the one time when we do see the medial lumniscus and the cerebral peduncles affected with a lateral lesion. Um, so we just have to kind of keep that in mind. Um, and we would get the, the, the cranial nerve three involvement as well. I'm not sure how we would kind of think about the lateral midbrain versus the medial midbrain um, differently. Dr. Nurla, if you have any yeah, I think that the visual hallucinations is, is one of the main features of the lateral midbrain um, syndromes. And that's, again, um, something called peduncular hallucinations. Um, usually they can be quite bizarre um, and they can be associated with inappropriate behavior. And it's thought to be involvement of the lateral geniculate nucleus or involvement of the reticular formation um, that causes sometimes altered awareness, altered consciousness, and for people to have these kind of very vivid formed hallucinations. Very interesting. Pedoncular hallucinations. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something that we well remember. <laughs> um, okay, so I think it will be helpful to just kind of uh, recap what we've spoken about so far from the general sense. Um, so it's helpful to review the fact that um, cranial nerves three and four are in the midbrain. Cranial nerve five, six, seven, eight are in the pons and in the medulla, it's nine and, um, through 12. Um, and based on which vessel, we kind of uh, occlude, we can think about which cranial nerve abnormality we would get. Um, the ones that we need to remember that lie more medially and hence uh, would be affected by medial, by lesions that affect the medial uh, supply um, would be three, four, six, and 12. And then also some helpful things to remember that the medial uh, ones are the medial lumniscus, MLF, corticospinal tract. And the, whereas the lateral is the spinothalamic, the um, sympathetic tract, the spinocerebellar, and the sensory nucleus of the cranial nerve five. Um, so if we have that framework in mind, we can kind of go from the subclavian, subclavian up uh, in our posterior circulation. We think about the vertebral arteries as they converge into the basilar. Um, we can think about the pica as it hugs the lateral medulla, um, and, and that will give us a lateral medullary syndrome. The medial medulla, we would think about the vertebral arteries and the uh, anterior spinal uh, artery. And then as we go further up, uh, we're thinking about the basilar as it supplies the, the, the perforators, would supply more of the medial structures. And then the ica uh, hugs the pons from outside, so that would supply more of the lateral structures. And then as we go further up in the upper pons, we would think about the superior cerebellar artery as it also hugs from outside. At least that's the mental picture that I'm imagining in my mind. Um, and then as you go up in the, in the midbrain, you're thinking more of your posterior cere- um, cerebral artery as well as the um, bas- top of the basilar, um, like we've gone through. Um, and, and based on our knowledge of anatomy, hopefully we can kind of come up with a way to remember the different syndromes that we've gone over. Yeah, I think that was great. Um, I think it's um, great that you kind of mention where the arteries are in terms of the brain stem, um, but also great to remember that the pica, the SCA, the AICA, they all also supply the cerebellum. And so you can think of it that they supply the cere- parts of the cerebellum and then also parts of the brain stem. And so when somebody has a cerebellar infarction, they typically do have some brainstem involvement. 
Um, and then depending on where the cerebellar infarct is and what vessel supplies that area of the cerebellum, you get different syndromes that um, you can see with the additive effects of the brainstem involvement. Absolutely. So there's a lot of overlap. Absolutely. And, and, and a very good way to remember that is to always think that the, the, the cerebellar, cerebellum kind of uh, overlaps with the pons a little bit. If you affect the medulla and you get a pica, you could get an, an inferior cerebellar um, lesion. You're more upper and you get, uh, which would be your upper pons and you get an SCA, um, stroke, then you would are thinking more of the upper part of the cerebellar. Yeah. So the SCA, so with, um, just like you said, with pica territory, cerebellar strokes, you get, and you can get involvement of the medulla, um, with pica territory strokes, you can get involvement of the pons. And then with SCA infarcts of the cerebellum, you can get involvement of the midbrain. And so there's a lot of overlap with those vascular territories and they usually go together. Thank you so much for this uh, review. Um, Stay tuned for uh, uh, more details and and other vascular territories as well. We'll see you guys soon. Stay um, safe and happy. (laughs) Take care.